This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Avast Business. With over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast Business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for all the links to the details. Right now, though, let's jump into our featured interview. Mitesh Patel, Managing Director of Fivefesis. Welcome to Tub Talk. Thank you, Richard. How are you doing today? How's things going? Yeah, really good, actually. It's been a, a long year, 2018, and uh, carrying through a lot of opportunities into 2019. So, uh, yeah, already got started and uh, already feels like I need a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't take too much of your time and we'll try and make this as light as possible to, to, to uh, not bring you down. Now, you and I uh, spent some time together recently at DatoCon in Barcelona, and um, you told me a little bit about the story of uh, FIFOSIS, where you'd built the business and um, how you'd grown from there. I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, tell me a little bit more about FIFOSIS, who you are, who FIFOSIS are, and um, help us understand your journey to get to where you are today. Okay, so it's uh, quite a long journey because I started FIFOSIS uh, out of university 17 years ago. Um, so quite a lot to cover, but in a in a nutshell, um, we've grown pretty much organically uh, for a long time. When I started with uh, knocking on doors and uh, giving people an alternative to using the yellow pages or a friend of a friend to provide IT support, um, but we then also made uh, a couple of acquisitions of some uh, smaller MSPs back in 2011 and 2013. So we've now grown to around 50-odd staff, and we've got about 130-odd uh, clients. Um, I'd say 80% of our client base is in London, with 20% uh, outside of London and uh, international as well. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Um, gone through, well, adding a lot more to managed services as we've gone along. When we first started, it was just support and then suddenly we added maintenance and then we've added licensing management and then we've added procurement and it seems uh, every single facet of the technology space seems to be bundled into managed services at some point and uh, now it's the managed security side so uh, all of that's been bundled in as well so yeah um, i think it's just going to going to continue like that yeah, so there's so much to unpack there. You've just summarised your your journey from 2001 until today in a <laughs> in a few sentences. But um, there's a couple of things I want to pick up immediately um, on. I when I speak to MSPs, uh, a lot of them believe that acquisitions is um, a great way for them to grow your business, grow their business. Clearly, it's worked for you, but I've seen some people fail spectacularly when it comes to acquiring other companies. What would you say is the, the secret? How have, how have you made acquisitions that have been good for the business and made them work for you? So the first acquisition we actually made um, back in 2010-11 was uh, I went to Cranfield on a business growth program on a course. And uh, the lecturer said to me, what does your business look like if your largest client left tomorrow? And uh, immediately I started sweating um, because uh, we had one particular client that represented 72% of our annual revenue. 
And uh, that was a that the question being asked is what gave me that wake up call, even though I probably knew it at the back of my head. But I thought this is a high, high risk. So very swiftly, I knew that we had to resolve this. And uh, within a month, I went and uh, approached an MSP who we'd, who we'd known about. They weren't hugely profitable, but they had a good recurring revenue stream. And uh, we made them an offer. That allowed us to reduce my largest client down to about 17%. Um, so we actually bought someone who was slightly bigger than us, but I had a clear reason for doing that. Um, as much as when I walked into that business and I said, there were 38 staff and I said, look, all of you are safe and uh, all of you are going to be stay employed and uh, it's all going to be nice and rosy. Uh, the reality was within two years, um, most of the staff had actually left and we'd ended up with a, keeping about two of them. Mm. Uh, and why did they leave? Was it a culture clash? Was it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, primarily a culture clash as, as well as, it added another half an hour journey uh, from their office in London Bridge to our office. So there was nothing that, uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, they disagreed with from a strategy point of view. It was more, um, they, well, um, the, the additional travel was a major issue. Yeah. And uh, some of the things from a culture point of view, they used to have a beer o'clock at four o'clock on Thursdays and Fridays and, no one understood profitability per client. And it was certain things that uh, we had to resolve. And yeah. uh, we did find that we were, I mean, we also had a dropout of, uh, I think, 30% of their client base within the first two years. And again, that was as a result of us going to visit some, some of these clients and saying, on average, uh, you are paying us six pounds per hour. Um, we're going to have to increase your rates and with clients saying, no, we're not willing to do that. Um, so we said, well, we clearly can't carry on at six pounds an hour rate. So uh, we had to let some clients go. So but there were lots and lots of learnings from the first acquisition, even made some mistakes where I spent said that the most important thing when you make an acquisition is that they are all on your contract, which is, again, false. They do not need to be on your contract, but no one had told me that at the time. So we ended up wasting a lot of time, energy, and effort um, going down certain routes rather than just focusing on delivering a better, improved service to the existing client base uh, in order to retain them. Yeah. And that was your first acquisition, wasn't it? But I know you've made yeah. multiple acquisitions. So you've shared some of the things that perhaps didn't go as well, some of the stuff that you've learned. What did it look like the next time you made an acquisition? Well, by, by that time, we'd had our tool set in place. So a key thing when we look for an acquisition is that what is the actual tool set uh, that they're using? What are we using? How uh, easy is it going to be to uh, migrate them into our culture, into our processes? Um, how swiftly can we achieve that? So uh, I'd say the next time we were actually ready to actually make an acquisition and absorb uh, the existing cost base um, very swiftly, be able to deliver their clients added value. So the MSP that we acquired, they didn't offer 24-7 manned uh, support and knock services. That's something that we did. So we, 
going to see those clients and saying, great, your rates are going to stay the same, but we're now going to offer you uh, something more. Um, and that's how we ended up getting them to sign longer term contracts. And some did say, look, we'd like to see what happens over the next six, nine months, and then we'll decide whether or not to do this. And to be honest, we were being quite flexible in our approach and said, yeah, that's fine. Um, mm. So yeah, lots of lessons learned in that process. Um, but trying to grow organically in, in London where we are in a very competitive space um, is very difficult. Um, unless you really do have something that's uh, explicitly unique, which many managed services providers have struggled to, to kind of come up with. Um, and also when you make acquisitions, when somebody says, who is your target market? When you make acquisitions, you're inheriting a great number of sectors um, and, a, and a large number of clients. So again, it makes answering that question a lot more difficult. Yeah. And what does, you talked about the number of clients that you've got on board with FIFOSIS at the moment. Do you see any trends there? Is there any sort of niches or verticals that spring out that you, that you specialize in or enjoy working with? Well, one thing we've done, especially in the last couple of years, is we've, uh, we've gone on to offer point solutions to uh, the higher end, as in the mid-market client base. So we are going in with a point solution for backup a point solution for NOC services, a point solution for uh, cybersecurity, um, awareness training. So we're being very specific for going for that higher end in terms of mid-market. Um, where we see our sweet spot is where there's an organization who has the one or two-man IT department for the 100 to three, 400 users, where they are let's say, outsourcing or getting a managed services provider on board to act as an extension of the in-house IT team. So we're finding that we're having a lot more success in that space in the last two, three years, which we didn't have before. Mm. Um, it was when you called them and said, hi, we're a managed service provider. Um, they just said, no, we're not interested. And they've put the phone down. Whereas now they also understand that they're struggling to employ the skill sets required the breadth and depth is far greater. Um, yeah, and they're going to need to work with a managed services provider. Mm. And what about the future for the business? Do you see acquisition as, uh, as a great way to, to grow moving forward, or are you relying more on the traditional sales and marketing techniques? Um, well, we're about to make an acquisition in 2019. So we're on the verge of making a third acquisition uh, at present. Um, I think it's a good strategy is to have a combination of both where you've got a good, strong organic sales and marketing engine um, going along. And then you've also got some acquisition uh, appetite there as well. Hmm. Um, the, I can say that, or I can share that in the last year and a half for once, we've actually uh, invested consistently in sales and marketing. Uh, it's something that we haven't done previously. We'd invest in tranches and give uh, a lead gen company three months and then we wouldn't get anything back or anything significant. So we'd drop it and then do nothing for another nine, 10 months. And then we'd start it up again. So this stop-start approach, which we adopted for a good uh, four or five years, um, didn't really work for us. Whereas now in the last 18 months, we've been very consistent 
we've taken an approach to provide education to the market first uh, without necessarily asking or putting at the end of each uh, blog or article a call to action. So it came across as let's deliver some education first and then we'll take the approach to put in a call to action. Um, we've been providing, uh, as part of our marketing plan, uh, free training uh, to prospects and clients so they get to engage with us uh, at a much uh, at a much more less intrusive way than actually trying to sell to them. So by giving them, giving them free training, they get to learn about us, learn about what we do. And then when they're ready or the time is right, then they will come to us. So we're having a huge success uh, by changing the approach um, in that way. Fascinating, yeah. And, and in terms of the marketing, you know, you said you, you do it in tranches and it didn't work for you. I think that's true across the board. I see so many MSPs who, um, who don't listen to that old phrase that, you know, marketing is an ongoing process, not an event. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so um, really good to hear that you've nailed that as well. And um, congratulations on the upcoming acquisition. Good luck with that. I, uh, I watch that with uh, interest and see where that goes. Something you talked about um, earlier on uh, when you said about acquisitions and culture, but also the tech stack. What does the current MSB tech stack look like at FIFOSYS? So for us, um, we have committed to uh, data um, primarily. So 90% of our data backup, business continuity, disaster recovery is actually now with Datto. I mean, we were historically with a Segra for, for many years. We still have a 100-terabyte uh, vault uh, with a Segra. Um, but the majority is all now moved over to Datto, um, which is what we're also using as a point solution. Um, from a cloud stack, I mean, we ran our own uh, private cloud when it wasn't called cloud back in 2006, and it was called private hosting. Yeah, um, We moved from having our data center in, a, in an office, uh, in a room inside my office, um, with 400 users dialing in from four countries for their Citrix desktop uh, profile. Uh, we then moved into a, uh, a tier two data center. And then in 2012, we invested one and a half million pounds and set up our own dual site infrastructure. Um, with the emergence of public clouds um, over the last three years, we have consolidated our private cloud uh, down to around uh, 20% now. So we've got infrastructure in, uh, in Azure, AWS, and uh, G Suite. Um, because the time has come now, you've got your modern day business that starts in the cloud. So a different approach is required and you are in, in effect inheriting solutions or cloud solutions that they've already invested in. So the cloud stack is, is quite broad, although we do have clients who are still in our private cloud or who have taken rack space within data centers. Um, I believe it comes down to a compliance and auditing um, requirement that if your auditors are required to turn up to your data centers and plug their laptops in, to evidence uh, what you have, then you need to go into a private cloud. If you don't, then a public cloud offering should certainly be considered. More and more, I'd probably say about 80% of our clients, our clients have a hybrid infrastructure. 
with a de degree of infrastructure on-premise and the rest in the, in, in the relevant cloud, that, cloud solution that's available to them. Um, from a security point of view, again, it's, it's, it's quite broad. Um, there are many who have committed to six, ten different vendors within this space. Um, we were quite similar initially. Um, however, we've consolidated already and we'll be consolidating even further. So uh, going to events like Datacom was very useful because you're always meeting a great number of vendors there um, who you can learn from and talk to other MSPs who adopted their technologies um, and see how they'll fit into your environment and your actual client proposition. And what's the driver behind that consolidation of vendors? What's in it for Five Assist? Why does it make life easier for you? If you can report things through a single glass pane, um, that's, that's, that's the ultimate. Um, delivering our clients transparency um, where they can go on their phone and get visibility to what you're doing, when you're doing it, be able to click through directly into your tool set so they can evidence what you're doing. Uh, I think that's of utmost importance. Nice. Um, also then from a staff training point of view, trying to get your staff to be trained on 10 different products has always been a, a challenge across the MSP space. So um, by consolidating certain vendors, um, it's much easier to train your staff as well. Yeah, makes absolute sense. Now, and you, you also get good rates uh, as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's talk practicalities, yeah. Negotiations of vendor rates is, uh, is important. Um, and they are willing to do deals as well. And I still can't see from the MSPs that I speak to that many are making uh, huge margins on uh, vendor-negotiated products. But the key thing for, for MSPs is that the clients are doing the right thing. And by going in at a set price point, can you convince the clients to improve their security can you get them to take less risks, you know? And it's these kind of things where vendors may sit there and think, okay, we're doing a deal. But uh, yes, you are doing a deal, but ultimately we have to go and convince the clients uh, to spend that money or we have to absorb the cost because we're going to be able to drive the efficiency uh, within our own processes. Yeah, you're going to lower your cost of support by bringing Absolutely. those tools on board. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So, so thinking about your story and where you've come from, you've grown Fiverr from nothing to where you are today. You're very clearly a driven entrepreneur and a business leader. And I've heard more than one person, uh, not to make you blush, but speak very highly of you as a leader. What does leadership mean to you, Mitesh? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's practice what you preach. So... It's, you know, keeping it very simple, you know, um, you've got to, you know, understanding that we are a technology company is, you know, is a very, is very important. There was a period of time when we, I mean, even myself kind of moved away and went, no, this is all about the number of tickets, number of incidents, the response times and so forth. Um, the way the market is going has meant that MSPs can't just sit and hide behind the actual technology stack. You've got to be active in that. Um, that requires leadership through the business that you're in. And some of the acquisitions that we have made, we have found that 
they forgot that they're actually a technology company. They thought they're just a customer service company. And I'll be honest, I think about 10 years ago, the vendors who provide products to the MSP market were telling the MSPs that you're a customer service company, you're a customer service company, and they went down that route. Over the last three, four years, they themselves have changed their tune and gone, no, you're actually a technology company first, and then customer service company on top of that. So from my point of view, leadership around the actual technology stack is absolutely, absolutely important. Understanding why you need to do these things, what messages you need to give to the market. Um, we're lucky that there's so much evidence around the market, especially around uh, security and all the threats that are actually there. So the media has certainly supported um, a lot of the messaging, which has uh, helped us because that's allowed clients. To, it's not us forcing messages down clients. They're reading about them day in, day out. Um, from, a, from a leadership point of view, it's also the actual team. So making sure that uh, you're actually growing and developing your team uh, constantly. And if we're not learning, we're not developing. If we're not learning and developing, neither are Neither are we giving ourselves the opportunity to educate and develop our clients um, to increase the use of technology to deliver the operations of their business. I mean, ultimately, we've always wanted to get beyond the basics. So it's not, you know, is my internet working? You know, is my phone working? Am I receiving email? It was wanting to elevate the conversation beyond that in terms of how can you, you use technology to help you make more money? How can you use technology to save you money? How can you deliver a more transparent approach to your end client? So it's not just us to our client. So this year, we'll be having a couple of training sessions in our office where we're inviting our, our clients to come and see how we use technology to automate and to improve our own efficiency to see if there's something they will uh, gain and learn from being exposed to what we actually do. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, a sort of tenet that I used to use back when I was running a managed service provider was build the business that your clients want to have. Yeah. Um, you know, go along those lines. So I absolutely love that. Um, what do you do for yourself, for your own, um, you know, leadership, personal development? What do you do, Mitesh, to keep the saw sharp and to keep learning? Myself or the team? Uh, for yourself. Well, I'll be honest. Recently, I went and did a did a session with. Uh, it's it's. I mean, the course is actually called Spotlight. It's any athlete that is an athlete or represents Great Britain. They go to St George's in in the north, and it's performance psychology. Mm. So uh, I went on the session through uh, my Cranfield University alumni uh, with thirty other business owners. Um, and I then asked them to come in in November last year to come and do a session with my actual team. So it's a bit like those uh, Thomas International psychometric testing reports, but it, this was quite different in terms of, I mean, I wanted to, we've always invested in creating that high performance team. And this was about uh, getting the staff involved where individually they learn more about themselves and how they can work better with others by understanding their approach. So I did that for myself, but I thought if I do that for myself, I've got to come back to my office and talk to my team, and they're not going to understand um, 
why I'm saying certain things that I am or approaching things in a certain way. So the only way was to get the ex an external organization to come in and deliver that to uh, my own staff. That's um, yeah. And I'm constantly going out. I do a lot of reading. I'm educating myself. Um, stepping out of my comfort zone, which is uh, always a challenge. Um, but yeah, just constantly talking to other MSPs. I mean, we've built strong relationships with many over the years and uh, opportunities like going to attend uh, the conferences um, like Datocon means that you're talking to our other MSPs. And as long as you're willing to be transparent and give information, um, they're willing to share information back. So that whole approach of givers gain uh, definitely works. Mm, such good advice, such good advice. If you were to start FIFOSIS again tomorrow, what would, he, what would it look like? How would you do things differently? <laughs> um, <laughs> do we have enough time on the podcast for that? Or? <laughs> I don't think so, Richard. How <laughs> would just summarise? How has the industry changed since you've started? You know, what, what can you see now clearly that looking back was a bit of a puzzle to you at the time? I think it's how you define, you know, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your customer? Yeah. Um, when I first, I mean, remember, I started from very humble beginnings in knocking on doors. And I knocked on, I don't know, a lot of doors around London. And at the end of three months, I secured £600 a month rec and recurring revenue. And I thought, great, this is the route forward, you know. But then there's only so many doors that you can actually knock on. You know, I didn't really have much of a, a business a business plan as such. I mean, the market's matured so much for the MSP space. And I remember talking to my staff uh, about three, four years ago, and I said to them in one of our briefing sessions, I said, um, is this business model still valid in five years' time, 10 years' time, and so forth. And the staff said, well, who knows? You know, we don't know. No one knows. And I said, no, we do know, because is it ever going to get any cheaper to recruit technical staff and technical people? Um, and with technology changing and developing so much, you know, keeping them up to date and so forth, I said, it's not going to get any cheaper. So... Our model is valid. And I know people hate using this word forever, but uh, I'd like to say forever. Um, so knowing that now, if I had to start Fiphosis now, I would certainly take a much more different approach with clients, a much more longer term view. Um, signing contracts with clients on a monthly rolling basis or on a three-month rolling basis, you know, there's no relationship there and you're not giving yourself or your client enough time to learn how you work for you to adapt to their culture and their environment. It's just too short term, but there are still today so many MSPs that I've met and spoken to that actually do this in the market. They're sitting there still going in at really low numbers. A lot of MSPs are, if they are profitable, they are profitable, but going in at a 3 to 5% EBIT, um, that's not giving them enough money to invest back in, into the business, to train their staff, to get their certifications. It's, it's not enough. You know, 
you know, building a business plan, if I was going to do it today, that does give me a minimum of 15 to 20% EBIT is what I would do. And that's what it's going to take then for you to then put 5% back in to then further develop um, and so forth. So I think the more MS, I mean, MSPs, yes, we are a, you know, I think anyone can set up an MSP. Um, that's why there's thousands of us out there. Um, sometimes people say to me that, who are your competitors? And um, I'd say my biggest competitors are the smaller MSPs who are going in, not necessarily cutting corners. I don't want to be quite rude if I did say that, but going in at price points that are not profitable. And yes. uh, that's the biggest challenge. If the MSP market space stuck together more, I mean, I don't think there's any MSP that's sitting there going, I want for 2,000 clients. You know, <laughs> no one is sitting there saying that. So there's a market there for everyone. But if everyone actually set a, a price point and said, okay, it's got to be £100 an hour, that's the minimum and we set that as a blanket rate across the MSP space, that kind of message is going to benefit our entire market. Yes, yes. Uh, change things for everybody as opposed to uh, a drive to the bottom with the, with the pricing. Absolutely. Yeah. And people yeah. should buy, you know, we welcome competition, you know, let them decide. If they've got three, three vendors, who do they fit best with? You know, suppliers, who do they fit best with? Who sent the best people to the sales meeting? Who presented the best proposals? Who did the most thorough audits? Give them other reasons than, than price to make their decision. And yeah. if you ask, if you did, a, did do canvas an opinion across MSPs and said, how many of you uh, would like to win a client based on price? I think everyone's going to say no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer to the question, to uh, what could have been a wide-ranging question. You got straight to the meat of the matter there. I appreciate it. So, Fiphosis are known for being, really, I'm going to say, on the cutting edge um, when it comes to the managed service model and, and how you define it. If you were to gaze into your crystal ball now, Mitesh, and look forward a little bit, um, what do you think is just around the corner for Fiphosis as a business? What are you going to be concentrating on in the next 12 to 36 months? We're focusing a lot more on the security side, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, we see the security side as opening doors um, to a larger client base, as in size of business, and landing on the security side and then expanding into further areas. This has worked for us over the last 12, 18 months. We already are carrying into 2019 a lot more than we've ever carried in, carried into a single year before. Um, the market is a lot more open. The uh, larger outsourced organizations like uh, Computer Center, Atos, and we see their models uh, changing, or oh, them struggling to cope with um, the level of support that is required in today's market. Um, so I sit, you know, I sit there now and say, great, there's a lot of uh, opportunity there. It is always about increasing the annual recurring revenue, but how can you do that um, 
with a point solution rather than calling and saying, give me everything. This whole give me everything and I will be the best at every single area of your operational uh, IT um, is a challenge for MSPs, for many of them. Um, and you, it, it requires you to get to a certain size to be able to make that commitment. So if you're not at a certain size where you can make that commitment, then you're already compromising. Um, we are fortunate uh, that we have managed to hit a certain size where we don't need to to compromise. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I sit there and say, great, security is a big thing for us. Um, optimization of infrastructure environments, it's no longer is is a is is something up or down it's going to be down to optimization um of the of the actual applications optimization of staff's usage optimization of security so there's a huge emphasis i think that we've focused on which is all around the optimization of the uh of what they've invested in yeah that absolutely makes sense if you don't mind, we'll also talk about another business you've got going there. So you're the CEO of Engage Property Technology as well. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that business. So you really are the entrepreneur. I just want to drive into this. Um, okay, so um, <clears throat> Engage was actually born out of uh, a contract that Fifosis won at the Legacy Olympic site. So during that process, we found an opportunity where Luckily, they didn't need to consider any legacy stock. So these are the three and a half thousand homes that the athletes stayed in during the Olympics. And uh, we came up with a way of automating interactions between tenants and landlords. So uh, we spotted an opportunity. There was a gap in the market. So we invested profits from Fifosis to basically develop this SaaS-based piece of software. Um, that we've then packaged and taken external investment in. And that's gone from literally 3,000 users to 120,000 in the last 12 months. Um, and it's great. I mean, the vision for that business is to improve the lives of the millions of people in the UK that rent. And, uh, you know, the expectations of, of uh, people are, are increasing. It's unfortunate that in the UK where we have, you know, everyone aspired to one day own a home. For many, that's a distant reality. So they're going to have to rent. And I think if they're going to have to rent, then it's the property sector's responsibility to ensure they have the best experience possible. They, are, they feel safe. It is transparent. They can uh, go use their phone to go and self-serve. So log their own maintenance requests make payments, receive offers from local retailers, um, be notified if they've got parcels that are being delivered, just to automate that whole process. So it's something that, uh, you know, it took us a long time to sit whilst we sat in our humble office in West Hampstead and thought, have we really created something new that no one else has done? You know, that took us a long time to kind of accept. And uh, once we realized that we had then we've actually gone, gone for it. Yeah. And, and again, that business is quite, it's, it's very different, but in that business in, uh, in 2017, we spent uh, 200,000 on pounds on marketing. 
and we did 14 events through the year and I've never ever spent any 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 kind of money like that in Fiphosis um but the brand engage is now a known entity in the market so it does kind of prove that uh it can actually work and uh but there is a difference so I'll I'll tell you this or share with you that I we work with an uh, an SEO company and we put all of our search terms for Fiphosis into Google to see how many times a month they searched. So this is data backups, IT support London, IT support, cloud computing, Office 365, you name it, all those search terms. All those search terms are put into Google 1.4 million times a month in the UK. On Engage's side, we've our search terms are property management software, resident portal, lettings portal, landlord portal, all those search terms associated with engage they're put into google 4300 times a month so it tells you about the levels of maturity within the market so for us as managed service providers to put a tiny little dent into our seo presence you know it's very difficult you're looking at budgets i mean for us to put a 0.01% dent i think the monthly budget was something like 6000 pounds whereas for engage we've put in 800 pounds a month and we're number one across everything yeah. so i don't know it's just something to be aware of when i when the when my uh, marketing company told me that i was like oh my god that's why it's been so difficult because <laughs> you're you're blazing a trail here aren't you nobody else is doing it at the moment yeah, well, they, there are people out there who do bits of it. So they'll just do payments or they'll just log a maintenance. But we've got the single single glass pane that organizations can use as a window to go in. Yeah, And um, it's been really quite exciting because there's always been fintech, but this whole prop tech term has only come about in the last two, three years. And um, yeah, we see, a, we see a big penetration in that area. Um, so we are we're a small player, but um, getting to be quite well-known and significant in that space. Yeah, and I wish you every luck with it because it is making people's lives better, isn't it? And it's going to become significantly um, more relevant as, uh, as uh, time goes on as well. So I wish you all the best with that. No, thank you very much. I mean, I remember when I was at Cranfield, they said, what is the purpose of your business and how do you make a difference to people's lives? So as Fiphosis, or you know, if any MSP provider listening in wants to email me an answer to that question, please feel free to do so because it was very difficult with Fiphosis because you sit there and go, how do we make a difference to people's lives? And you're sitting there going, all right, their computer works or they're getting their email, they can talk to their friends on their phone, you know, you know, I mean, they can transact. It's a very difficult one to, I found, to answer. Whereas uh, for Engage, you know, single product, single sector, and making a difference to people's lives who, who rent. I mean, you could answer that question. Yes. But um, I'd love to hear answers for the MSV. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do that because one, one of the things that I, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious of your time here, Mitesh. You've uh, given so freely of your time and been very open and honest. So I, not only do I appreciate it, I know the listeners will. But if anybody listening did want to continue the conversation with you, how do they find you? I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my email address is m.patel at fiphosis.com. 
feel free to connect with me or send me an email. Happy to, to talk. Fantastic. Well, again, you've been massively open and honest here. You've given freely of your time. I appreciate it. You are rapidly becoming one of my favorite people in the industry to spend time with, Mitesh. Not just on the dance floor, as we did at DattoCon, throwing some <laughs> shapes there at that awesome party, but just in general. I'm really proud to see what you're, uh, what you're achieving in business there across everything that you do. Um, so thank you for your time today. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. Richard here, and I wanted to give a really big shout out and to say a huge thank you to our friends at Avast for bringing this episode to you. In the face of increasingly complex threats targeting small and medium businesses, yesterday's methods are no longer enough. Cybersecurity must be quicker, smarter, and more reliable than ever before. Avast business provide a range of powerful, easy-to-deploy security products and management platforms designed for IT solution providers and managed service providers. Avast business offer a variety of cybersecurity products that are MSP friendly. You can choose from standalone antivirus products, managed antivirus products, cloud care for layered endpoint and network security services, backup and recovery, content filtering, email security, patch management, and a management console to easily deploy endpoint protection solutions to devices in your client networks. These solutions are all backed by the largest, most globally dispersed threat detection network in the world. If you've not checked out Avast's Secure Internet Gateway, then I'd recommend taking a look at the video demo that Avast's Paul Fenwick and I recorded. It delivers a full security stack as a service that protects users wherever they go. With 30 years as a leading cybersecurity company and over 435 million active users of Avast products, if you haven't already taken a look at what Avast business is offering, now might be the time. Visit tubblog.co.uk forward slash Avast for links to all the details. <laughs> <laughs>